Miss Dana has a special this morning.
for future generations. We must be a light for future generations. We must be a light for future generations. We must be a light for future generations. I want to say thanks to Miss Dina and the kids that made that special uh, possible. Uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, I think uh, the... Uh, uh, remember the first time that song came out back in the 80s, and that was a very powerful song. I think it was a, a group called For Him and uh, that sang that originally, and uh, just a cool, cool song, one of my favorites. They they were really, uh, uh, had a lot of just powerful scriptural songs and being light, not compromising in the world that we live in today. Can you imagine, can you believe that it's already December? December the 2nd, uh, starting a very short series, we have three Sundays counting today before we begin or get to our Christmas program. In our Christmas program, it would be the Sunday before uh, Christmas, obviously, I believe that's the 23rd, Christmas is on a Tuesday this year, so we're looking forward to that. If we stick to our normal schedule, I believe the young people's program will be that morning, and then the cantata will be that evening. So it will be a full day, and there will be a lot of things going on uh, during that day. I know in your home, and so just I just called it Countdown to Christmas. We're going to look at several things in, in this. The very first thing we're going to look at this morning if you find the Old Testament book of Micah and head there, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Before we read, we'll go ahead and talk about uh, the other two Sundays. I already have those planned out and uh, mapped out. This morning, the meekness of Christ's birth. And you say, well, that sounds uh, pretty quaint. Uh, well, the next one... Next Sunday, the 9th, we're going to be talking about the majesty of Christ's birth. Did you know he was born, you know, meekly, but he's also the king of kings. He also was a descendant of the throne of David, which I briefly mentioned this morning. Also, uh, finally, the third Sunday, I believe that would be the 19th, and uh, we're going to look at the meaning of of Christ's birth. He had a lot of purpose. Did you know he was born to be our Savior? Did you know the Bible says he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world? Did you know he was born sinless so that we could claim? You know, I, I said he had a, um, here a while back I made a statement. Uh, he had a perfect birth and a perfect life and a perfect death. And, of course, rose from the grave so you could claim a perfect promise. 
And all of those things were perfect. Perfect birth, perfect life, perfect death. You say, how can anybody's death be perfect? It fulfilled all of God's word. And he did it all so you could claim a perfect promise. And that is the gift of eternal life. Micah chapter 5, as we read this one verse, just a, a neat verse about Bethlehem, would you stand for the reading of God's holy word? As you read along or listen along, it says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Epaphra, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Father, we bow before you this morning thanking you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born in a humble place, in a lowly place, in a stable, so that we could have a great and magnificent salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for the standing for the reading of God's holy word. In Bethlehem, this simple scripture, and there are other numerous scriptures. This is the, the most famous one about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. On Wednesday night, we've been studying the life of David, and we just started that. This past Wednesday night, a matter of fact, boy, it harmonized perfectly with this. Did you know David, King David? And matter of fact, I put in there, and if you look in Matthew chapter 1, it says there are 28 generations from David. There's three sections of 14. And uh, from Abraham to David is 14 generations. And uh, 14 generations from David to so-and-so, forget off the top of my head. And then from that person on to Jesus is 14 more generations, which makes it 28 generations. Now, think of that. Of course, you don't call your dad great unless you have a great dad. And then you don't have your uh, grandfather, you know, he's granddad. I had all, there's all sorts of different names for your grandpa. Granddad, Papa, Paul, I mean, how many names are there? Grandpa and all these other things, you know, that you have. And uh, so, but then, so you, when do you start calling them great? You know, that, that would be the third generation, right? Your great grandfather. And so if you do it that way, King David was... Jesus is great, 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 great grandfather. And got them all in there, 26 of them. And so that's a, man, think about it. I know my, I'm not going to do it again. I know my 26th great grandfather. That would be, and they had that pedigree out there for Jesus. And they, and matter of fact, guess what? It's even listed for us today in the book of Matthew chapter 1. Isn't that cool? So he had a neat pedigree, and guess what? It was all, of course, God's neat plan. But if, and G, and, excuse me, Matthew wrote about Jesus being the uh, a descendant of King David, and it's all about him being the king of the Jews. Now, he's called king of the Jews, but... If you just take away that, just talk about his humility. Now, Jesus had an humble life. 
And just like David, now, you know, we study this, and the parallels are eerily, strikingly similar. David was unknown. Nobody knew about him. Remember his 26th great-grandfather. And remember whenever they said, when basically God said, I'm tired of Saul messing up. I gave him a shot. And look who the people picked. And the people picked the first king of Israel. Guess who picked the second king of Israel? God did. And he said, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. And, of course, that was prophesied in the book of Ruth. You know, da, 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 and we're going to Boaz and Jesse and, da, da, and all those. And then of him, and we have that all looked there. There's going to be something cool come from this lineage. And uh, so anyway, so as you look there and you see nobody knew about David and all those sons of Jesse lined up before Samuel and said, one of these is going to be a king. But they left out this little old bitty brother. Nobody thought about the little brother. Matter of fact, think about Jesse said, well, I don't know what we're going to do. He said, do you have any more sons? Well, there's little David. Where's he at? He's out in the field tending the sheep. And they said, well, what, what about him? Uh, well, you, you know what Samuel said? Well, we're just going to all stand here till one of y'all go get him. And one of y'all are going to go get him. And guess what? He was the man after God's own heart. And guess what, Jesus? Jesus fits a lot of, of the patterns. Uh, David is kind of like a, a shadow, a type of Christ in a lot of ways. Of course, he had sin and all those things. It's definitely not a perfect pattern or a perfect shadow. But you have all these images that we see in David, his humility. He went on, now think about this, think about this. You and I are called to be like Christ. And Christ was an humble guy. He was a meek guy. And looking at the meekness of his birth, I'm using this as a, as a synonym for uh, being humble. So now this, this very humble child... Is born. Now, the prophecy in Micah 5 2 going to be in Bethlehem. Now, go to your Bible. Again, Luke chapter 2, the famous Christmas story. Here we are, a full three and a half weeks before Christmas, and we're already reading it. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. The Word of God says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee <clears throat> out of the city of Nazareth, which tells you right there where Joseph was living. That's why whenever... Jesus was called a Nazarene. Why? Now, even though he was born in Bethlehem, he was from Nazareth. That was his hometown folks, okay? That was his hometown people, which is called, is uh, out of the city of Nazareth, went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused or engaged wife, being great with child. Uh, matter of fact, I uh, got into a discussion with somebody. Uh, I, I can't remember, I can't recall who, nevertheless, they said, you know, isn't it neat that, that Mary chose to be an humble servant to carry the child? But did you know she didn't have a choice in the matter? 
She didn't have a choice. God said, God said, I choose you. You're going to be the one. Matter of fact, when he told her, she was already pregnant. Said, I didn't want to look at here. You are, you mean, she didn't have a whole, but guess what God knew? God knew that she would be the one. God knew that she could handle it. God knew, she, God wouldn't have picked her if uh, she couldn't have handled it. Anyway, so she was already with child, and matter of fact, uh, uh, the story about the angel telling her is pretty neat in and of itself, but moving on. And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, looking at this, uh, just talking real quickly, you see there talking about his birthplace. He was born in a little town, little country town. Isn't that great to say? Every one of y'all who are from Hamburg met a fellow earlier this week that are that he said, I grew up in Fountain Hill. I said, yeah, that's a small town. And uh, his name was Raymond. I met him in the Napa stores over there and uh, got a got a quart of oil from Brother Dennis. He said, Merry Christmas. I said, thank you for the oil. <laughs> and uh, so he, he uh, talking to Raymond about being from a small town. And uh, Jesus was from a small town, both Bethlehem and Judea. And then I put in there that he was, uh, you know, born in a little, laid in a manger. We think about that. The Bible really doesn't say. Now, when you see manger scenes, what what do we often see? A barn, a little shed, and uh, put in there. But did you know probably? Now, uh, and matter of fact, if you go over there today, uh, you look and it's caves. There's all sorts of caves in the Judean hillside. Many of you've been there to see them, and where probably Jesus was born. And a uh, little cave-like place. But they have a place over there in Bethlehem where they think that when they're... And they've got the stones sacred out with the uh, Catholic Church or the uh, Greek Orthodox Church or whoever's over that. And it's all decorated where he actually touched. Now, they don't know that. They don't know exactly where he was. But it was probably in a little cave because that's what they used for stables back then. Now, the word manger, it means feeding trough. Now, imagine that. I don't know what, you know, some of y'all... Matter of fact, I'd be curious just to... How many people in here were not born in a hospital? Lift your hand. Anybody? We have several several people not born in a hospital. Right. Guess what? Jesus... Y'all are scriptural. Jesus wasn't born in a hospital either. Okay? (laughs) Y'all are scriptural. Same thing that... uh, But it doesn't really matter where you was born, but... Think about that. Jesus wasn't born in a hospital either. And uh, so then he was laid, what does it say? In a feeding trough. Now, you, this is definitely not the type of birth that you would expect of the King of Kings. This is not the type of birth. The Creator of the universe is born and they laid Him in a what? A feeding trough in a where? In a barn? Now, yes, more than likely that barn was a cave in a Judean hillside in the country, that Judean area, in a little town called Bethlehem, which means, many of you know, house of bread. And so the living Word became the Word in flesh. And He was born. 
in an humble way. So Jesus, matter of fact, very few people, matter of fact, God sent select invitations. I didn't get an invitation. I've heard people say that before. Nobody invited me. <laughs> That's because they didn't want you to come. <laughs> okay? Guess what? God chose to invite just a few, I called it a little crowd, I think, a little audience. God chose just a, a select few. And guess who? He didn't pick the mayor. He didn't pick the president. He didn't pick the city councilman. Who did he pick? Blue-collar workers, mill workers, everyday workers, people that didn't even, they didn't even have time to comb their hair, brush their teeth, or change clothes. Did you know they came in their working clothes? I remember one time I was uh, pastoring a church, and uh, a lady that was a nurse, and uh there are some churches all over the country where uh, your clothes are a big issue. And there was a lady that came directly from work. She was a nurse and uh, or a, a, a nurse practitioner or whatever assistant. And but they, a lot of people that are nurses or wherever and, and came in in her scrubs. And a lot of people in different uh, occupations wear those they that scrub uniforms, nurse things, whatever. And they came to church, and they were ridiculed because they didn't have a dress on at a church. Can you imagine that, folks? That's stupid. That is so stupid. Come, come directly from work because they didn't have time to go home and came to church. And guess what? Did the shepherds have time to go home and clean up? <laughs> no, they didn't. Think about this. They came in their work clothes and came to church, so to speak, if you will, and went to the manger. And this is cool. Let's read it. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says here, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. Man, this is a big time. They haven't seen any. They've seen a few shooting stars, but they never saw a thousand meet. We don't know the number, but it says a host. That means an army, by the way, if you look that word up. Heavenly host, bunch of angels. For unto you, big announcement, verse 11. Unto you this day born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough. Word manger means feeding trough. Remember that? And suddenly, with the angel of multitude, the heavenly host, praising God, man, now, now they're singing. <laughs> Woo, man, they're getting all excited. I imagine this. I mean, can you think about it now? Was uh, these angels, did they go, well, I figure y'all need these on in town there and check out. There's this uh, baby being born and... Uh, you might want to go see him and check on him. It would make, make mom and dad feel good. <laughs> I don't think they had that kind of attitude. I think, then what does it say? What does the verses say? Praising God, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, 
goodwill to me. And folks, these angels are excited. <laughs> these angels are announcing the birth of the Son of God. The Son of God. But where's it at? In a manger. <laughs> or actually a stable. Manger is the feeding trough. And so they went there. Who did? The shepherds did. Working guys. And uh, matter of fact, what was it saying? Verse 15, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing. So they're outside the city limits. That's what that tells me. <laughs> outside the city limits. Because normally you don't have sheep grazing in town. Alright? And they went there and they came with haste which tells me in country boy language and every other type of language, came with haste means they hooked them. They got after it. They, they, they jogged in the town. And they found them lying, the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad. Before I move on, let me ask you, if you know Jesus Christ, have you made any of it known to anybody? Share it. Tell it. Now, you told it one time to the church, and that's how you joined the church. But have, have, we, have we told anybody else? Have we told anyone else? His meekness is an endearing quality. If we uh, grab two scriptures real quick, and uh, thinking about being meek, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, by the way, just give you a quick definition of meekness. Meekness is the simple definition that I know in my heart is meekness is strength under control. It means you have the ability to take somebody out, but you don't. That's called meekness. In other words, the Bible says Moses was a meek man. Meek man. Meek is not weak. Meek means that it's strength under control. He was meek. Now, Jesus was meek, and it rewards our meekness. In other words, don't react in the flesh to listen to the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus' humility is one, is one of the qualities that we need to exemplify. Matthew, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Word of God says this, Let this mind, this type of attitude, this type of thinking, be in you, which also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient. How obedient? All the way to the cross. Now, I just wanted to pick out a few things about this real quick. The phrase is, a lot of people, it, it kind of sounds strange the way it's phrased in the English. But it says, uh, who being in the form of God. Basically, before Jesus was born, where was he? He was with his dad. Heavenly Father, God. He's, he's Basically, is He the King of Kings before He was born? I believe He was. I believe the Bible bears that out. Okay? Now, let me ask you this. If He's the King of Kings before He's born in the flesh, what do He have to do before He's born in the flesh? 
Basically, step down from the throne. In a sense, take off his crown. And the Bible says this, he humbled himself. Humbled means he, he took upon what? The form of a servant. And when it says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which means this. Before he was born, he's equal with God, so to speak. You know what he did? The word robbery means something to grab onto, a bounty, a robbery. Uh, there's a couple other synonyms. But so he thought it not something to grasp, something to, you know what he did? He let it go. What did he let go? Now, he's still God in the flesh. But basically, he stopped being the position that he had in heaven. He set it aside for a little while. That would be the best way to say it. The, what he had in heaven, he set it aside. And what does it say? What did he become? If he set something aside, what did he become? He became a man. So he could be our Savior. He had to become a man to be our Savior. And that's what's the humility we see. So now, a lot of people discuss about, well, what exactly did he set aside? But that's not the point of this message. You know, and all that. There's all sorts of different things you could discuss about what did Jesus set aside. But this is what I know. When it says he thought it not robbery, it means thought it not something to hang on to, to take. Which reminds me, what season are we in? Christmas. And especially, what are we trying to teach our kids? You know, we've kind of, we sometimes we get away from the real meaning of Christmas. Any of you, uh, how many people in here have more, uh, have had more than one child? Y'all got more? How many of you have ever had your children fight over something? Ah! It's mine! 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 That's the attitude of Christmas. It's mine. It's mine. Just, I had it. Have you ever heard this? I had it first. It's mine. It's, uh, they won't ever let me play with it. It's mine. But that's, you, do you have to teach your kids to do that? No, no, you don't. You don't have to teach them. It just comes natural. It just comes up because they're what? They're sinners. That's why they need a Savior. And I did it with my sister. And I, we've all done it. I did it with my stepbrothers. And we've all done that. Why? Because we're naturally selfish. But Jesus wasn't selfish. And He didn't... And that phrase is interesting when you dig into it. Thought it not robbery. He says, I'm, I'm not going to say it's mine. Did you know His crown was His? Did you know His, his uh, being on a throne was His? He didn't, nobody could take it away from Him. He's the King of Kings. But He set that aside. Whatever He set aside. And what did He do? The Bible says He humbled Himself twice. Stepped down from heaven. Became a man. Did you know you can't kill God? So God had to wrap Himself. The word, if you ever hear somebody say God incarnate, that means in flesh. Like the suit. He put it on. What did He put on? Flesh. 
He became a man. He wrapped himself. And when that, the Bible says it's kind of interesting when you think about the seed of God was placed inside that woman. That's when it became God incarnate. God in the flesh. That's cool. That's cool when you think about it. So, even his example today at Christmas time, when our kids are saying, I want this and I want that, and I couldn't wait to get the Sears uh, catalog that, and now it's all on the internet, but back then it was on Sears catalog, the wish book that would come out, and I would circle everything I wanted and then hand deliver it to mom and dad. I want this for Christmas. Only 936 things. <laughs> That's all. That's all I want for Christmas. And, uh, of course, you know, I had to be happy with what I got. But it was a wish. Hey, I figured if I'm wishing, why not go wish for it all? You know, and so, and, but that's not the mentality Jesus had. Timothy, if you keep reading, don't even have to turn the page if you still have your Bible open. Timothy had this same attitude. And, Still in Philippians 2, verse 19. Paul said, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send, it says, Timotheus, Timothy, same guy, shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Notice what he says about Timothy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ's. What does verse 21 mean? People are always looking out for number one. You know what, preacher? I'm going to do what's right for me. You know, preacher, I'm going to take care of me. You know, every time I do for somebody else, I get burned. Welcome to the Christian life. When you lay your heart there out on the line, Guess what? It's easy to do when your heart's laid out there and you serve other people. Can your feelings be hurt? Yep. Can you, can your feelings be trampled on? Yep. Can your heart be just torn to shreds? Yeah. What does it say here? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of Him, that as a son with the Father, He has served with me in the gospel. He, you know his example. Do people know your example? Now we have a choice to make. And this choice is presented very clearly toward the end of the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 5. And then James chapter 4. They're just a couple of pages apart. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. Right toward the end of your Bible. Matter of fact, if you want, you can go ahead and get that James chapter 4 scripture. Now, what are these two scriptures going to show us? God's attitude toward the proud. Now, the proud is the opposite of being humble. And before I read these, now, all of us have pride. <clears throat> Many of you have heard this before. What is the middle letter of the word pride? I. What's the middle letter of the word sin? 
I. It all start, when we look out for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with having pride in a job well done. That's, there's, that's a different kind of pride. The pride saying that, matter of fact, the Bible says, if you're going to do something, do it right and do it heartily as unto the Lord. It does say that. Okay? And so, if we're going to do, have pride in a job well done, it's okay. But to say pride, in other words, I'm looking out for me. I'm putting myself first. That's what got Lucifer into trouble. It did. And, I, and I've got to guard myself, and you, nobody, none of us can be perfect, and God doesn't expect us to be. But He wants us to try to put others first. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto others. Follow the example of those who are trying to live a right kind of life. Matter of fact, then He goes a step further. He says, Yea, all of you, be subject one to another. Serve each other. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God. And folks, you say, well, if I humble myself and lift others up, I'll never get anything out of life. Well, it says, it says here, what does it say? That God, that's the He, may exalt you in due time. And then back over here in James chapter 4 and verse 8. The Word of God says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. We should desire Him. We should desire Him. If God resists the proud... When we go to run to God and we're full of pride, He resists us. He puts His hands up. He puts His hands up to our prayers. He puts His hands up to blessing us. But thank goodness for God's patience and long-suffering. Man, I tell you what. My wife is patient with me. She is. And... Many times all of us mess up, but God is patient with that. He's patient with us all. May we have humility like Christ had it. Patience. Waiting. Put others before yourself. Think of others ahead of your own desires. You mean other people should be more important than me? Yep. Because guess what somebody will come along and do for you? Somebody will come along and say, you know what? You're more important than me and they'll consider your, your, you to be more important than them. It's just a big circle, lifting others up, encouraging each other. Most of all, if there's somebody here this morning, are you going to heaven? Do you know that you have a home in heaven? As we get ready for a hymn of invitation, would you bow with me for a word of prayer, Father? As we bow before you, asking you to be in control and knowing that there may be somebody here that you're convicting right now to say, hey, just 
put me first in your life. Slow down in life. Slow down in life and let me have the priority. Let God have His first place. Be on the throne of your heart. Lord, help us to follow your example, Timothy's example. In Jesus' name, amen.